This is the Canadian Passive and Active Real Estate Podcast, investing and wealth building with Connie Buna and Roland Kim. Hi, everybody. I'm Connie Buna. And I'm Roland Kim. Welcome. This is our investment podcast. Connie, it's been a while. Good to see you. You're not covered in sawdust, but I hear you're doing a renovation. And mm. uh, how is that going? That's an exciting process. So yes, we are fully uh, two, almost three months into a renovation of our of our home, our primary residence. And it's an interesting and scary and intense experience, despite the fact that we have been planning this for almost two years. It's amazing how it's always uh, more of a scope creep. And uh, you're also in the middle of a very high inflationary period. So how is that affecting things? So one of the things that I'm so grateful for is because my partner is a planner. So by trade as well as, so by profession as well as simply by nature. And so as a result, we have been planning this project for, as I mentioned, two years. And the first step of our process was to engage an interior designer. And we have had a wonderful experience with our interior designer. And what that process allowed us to do early was select, source, and actually purchase quite a bit of our materials, which I'm so grateful for because what has occurred over the last year has been unbelievable delays to supply chain. Even, mm-hmm. even pre-COVID, there were supply chain interruptions and even more so now. So we bought a ton of our materials in advance. And then also, of course, you know, materials like lumber and literally nails and screws and those things, you don't buy those in advance. You buy them at the time that they're needed. And so with certainty, some elevated costs there. And we're we're feeling that. The other thing we've been thinking about as it relates to our renovation is, you know, really trying to strategize the best way to finance the work. Okay. So again, it's a it's work on our principal residence. Our intention is to be in this home for 20 more years or more. And so we're really, really invested in staying. And I've had a number of different conversations with our financial advisor and with our accountant about the best method for financing this renovation. I would be curious to hear from you, Roland, on what your thoughts are before I share with you what we've done. I don't even know. I haven't done, I've only renovated investment properties. So that's a little bit different. I don't know. I would think save up a bunch and maybe get a line of credit. What did you do? Yeah. In the end, after dissecting it, you know, every which way but Sunday, we decided to take out a line of credit on our on our home. And we are using the line of credit blended with a considerable amount of savings that we've been kind of stockpiling. We've been thinking about this renovation again for many, many years. And so we're doing a bit of a blend, but my hope with the reno is eventually to pay off the, you know, use as much cash as possible and to pay off the line of credit as efficiently as possible. And the reason I'm doing that is because I'm considering this to be an investment in my home that eventually one, um, I'm not looking at a short-term gain and I'm not looking at it from the, a business perspective, the way I might look at, for example, a renovation on an investment property. And so my mindset is really, I'm committing to $250,000 of investment in my, in my home. And one day I'll see that money back and then some, but 
in the short term, you know, the, the accountant always says, could you take that money? And I, I like, I'm not paying for that outright in cash immediately. So that'll be amortized out over the period of time that we need to borrow the money. But accountant is always saying, you know, it's, a, it's always a balance of carrying cost, a cost to borrow versus what you could be doing with that money or what it could be earning. And, you know, when I was analyzing that, the financial markets at this point in time are so volatile um, and cash in the bank is literally devaluing if you have a one or 2% interest on your savings account in your bank and we're at five plus percent inflation, it's not rocket science. We're losing money. Your money is actually devaluing. And so for me, it made more sense to use those cash investments into improvement in the home. And so for me, I am contextualizing it in a similar manner that in a longer term investment vehicle. And so it's been a very interesting experience also I've had so many different clients that I've supported go through the motions and go through the process of of minor and major renovations and you know one of the one of the bigger takeaways that I'm experiencing right now is the idea of having a great team that you trust working with you and staying engaged in the process. So the other lesson I'm learning is that it's not a set it and forget it experience. You know, I've never done a project of this size, but what I'm realizing is that, and I totally trust and appreciate our team, but, you know, people are human, mistakes are made. And the the fact that we are staying so engaged and asking lots of questions, I think is helping to keep the project on the rails and keeping it so that things aren't missed. You know, I had a conversation with one of the, one of the GCs yesterday just to say, hey, can we circle back on, on this, this conversation? We talked about you know, baseboard heaters. And uh, we have a boiler system in our home and we've just installed a heat pump. And so we're doing a combination. We have a little, we have the boiler operating on the on the basement level of our home, which is suited and we haven't changed that. And then on the main floor of the home, predominantly we'll be using the heat pump, which I'm excited about. And also what I've learned about heat pumps is that if the temperatures drop below zero, like well below zero, the heat pump is actually has a tendency to freeze. Like the whole mechanism outside will freeze. And so it can compromise, of course, the heating of your home. And so we decided intentionally to keep some redundancy in the house for the boiler system. And and that was, you know, we talked about it many, many times. And then what I realized was that I realized we hadn't talked about reinstalling some radiators for those hot water boilers. And uh, so I brought that back to the conversation. And in fact, it had totally fallen off the radar. And had I not been paying attention, had I not been staying engaged in the process, we could have easily come to the completion of that project and we would have had no redundancy. <laughs> it would have been frustrating. And so it's it, it's been an interesting experience of staying engaged and connected and also a powerful experience of planning. You know, we ordered our appliances like two months before we even started our project. And we ordered our appliances through Mainland Appliances. And, you know, Mainland was sharing with us like how lucky we were that we made the decision to order early because they've had huge interruptions to with the delivery of their product. And so, you know, these are things that can absolutely derail a schedule and a completion schedule. And especially depending on the renovation that you're doing. If you're, for example, renovating an investment property. And as a result, like you're factoring in the cost of missed rent, you know, not having appliances for an extra nine weeks 
is more costly than just the delay in time. It's costly in the delay in getting your tenant in there and and getting cash flow back to your investment property. You know, for us, for our principal residents, we fully have moved out of our home. So it's a for us an additional cost of being out of the house and in our in a rental property. Um, and also just the general, you know, desire to be back home. So it's been an interesting experience. Are you ready to build a stronger financial future, but don't know where to start? Connect with our advisors with Prometheus Private Advisory Group. We commit to understanding where you are financially today and where you want to be tomorrow. By providing you the knowledge, tools, and guidance through achievable objectives, we can help reach your financial goals quicker. For more information and a free consultation, email ben.chan at ppagroup.ca. A stronger financial future starts today. Yeah, I'm I'm glad I'm not doing it right now, but I'm learning (laughs) through you, which is awesome. You bring up a little bit there about costs and 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 balancing and we spoke about it earlier with some of our clients having gone you know in the last two years going through covid and initially when covid set in we you know we were crunching numbers on our own portfolio as well with clients about what would it look like if there was vacancy of you know 20 percent or whatever the the numbers we were playing with and um, it was the first time in my career we'd come through or been faced with a calamity where we hadn't experienced it before. And then um, vacancy naturally happened with many of our different clients and some of our own properties. And it was very interesting to observe how, you know, a seasoned investor was responding to that versus um, a kind of a newer investor. Yes. And then, you know, within two years, the rent spectrum went back to all-time highs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, which which person's actions was better in the long term and who was more happy with their decisions. And mm-hmm. an example of, you know, some of those examples would be pre-COVID, um, you know, Vancouver rents were, let's say, 2000 for a, for a one-bedroom, which I, is a very high rent, but it's an expensive city. And it probably dropped 20%, you know, at the worst of COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was hard to find good tenants downtown. And then two years after it started, post-COVID, you have rents at an all-time high. I'd say like 21, 2200 for a two-bedroom. Now we have, you know, we're helping clients navigate the scenery where they they put a tenant in there when the, the rent was 20% lower. Yes. And they, they were more fear-driven about having vacancy. And that's definitely like, you know, something that I come from with my background being like, you got to have it rented, always have it rented. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, you know, run some of the numbers and it's interesting we also had clients who took you know three four months empty empty apartment in order to find market rent tenants yes because they make calculations where you know if i if i rent my two thousand dollar property for 1600 and i can only increase it by you know the the stated legal amount of let's say two percent a year mathematically you know i could be i'd be better off leaving it empty for eight months isn't the, that interesting, right? Right. So it's, uh, you've had a little bit of experience with that. Well, I just experienced for me the first proper like experience of fear with vacancy where I have a rental property up north and it was, you know, tenants gave notice like December 1st. <laughs> it's like, oh no, right at Christmas time, the holidays, like in the, in the dead of winter, not an ideal situation. It's far away. It's not a place I can drive to. I had previously been managing it on my own. And 
you know, I was, I, I really had to confront that. It was an amazing, I bought it tenanted. Mm -hmm. So it was easy to, that was easy. It was, mm -hmm. it was, it was tenanted, it was furnished. And, you know, the money was just, it was, it was a business up in Kitimat that was renting the, the townhome. And so, you know, the company, stable and consistent, sending rent promptly every month. And then, of course, you know, they're, they're, they do everything, they're, they're doing, certainly doing everything above board. Like they have a whole division of the company that deals with rentals and, you know, they give their, their notice and, and away they go. And I thought, and, and it was my first experience with, uh, with my rental portfolio where I, I was feeling quite afraid. Mm. I was contemplating flying up there. You know, what the heck am I going to go do? Sleep on a mattress on the floor in this place and like put it on Craigslist for a week? <laughs> like what's the game plan? Yeah, yeah. And so I engaged a property manager up there and he was a referral from you, in fact. So same property manager, they think that manages your properties up there. And what he was saying to me was, you know, I asked him a lot about like what's going on in the in the job market. And, you know, it was, you know, it's a very boom bust town, mm -hmm. very much driven by, you know, the cycles of, you know, the the main drivers of industry up there, the mining and and the and the deep sea port. So he was awesome at just anchoring me in in just knowing that like it, we will get it rented. Mm -hmm. And what I he he was trying to re-rent for a for a higher rate than what we were previously getting. And, you know, my personal ethics around that are if I'm making decent cash flow, it's covering itself. I don't need to squeeze every dime out of the market. I'm happy to rent at a reasonable rate. So I don't, I don't need to be the highest rental rate. And we might disagree on that point, but that's just my, my personal ethics. And the property manager was trying to, to get like $300 more of rent per month on the re-rent. And we weren't getting many bites and we were heading into month two of vacancy. And I was feeling really, really panicked. And so, you know, I was saying to him, I'm happy with getting the previous rent that we were getting. Like the previous rent was what I ran the numbers on for this property. And I felt perfectly comfortable with the ratios. And so that's my floor. And mm -hmm. so please use your discretion in terms of negotiating a good rate. But one of the things that he took time to talk with me about is in fact that equation of, you know, I, I had not done any rental increases nor had the previous landlord. So in fact, we were, we were trending under market for the for the rental revenue that we were receiving. And so he encouraged me to to be patient and and you know wait a little longer and in fact what we realized was we secured a great tenant and at a at a reasonable rate slightly higher than what I was previously getting offset by the fact that I'm now paying a property manager of course mm -hmm. factors in. And in subsequent conversations the market is now the rental market is now like really 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 tight. There's almost nothing to rent. <laughs> So I went from a full pendulum in one and a half quarters, which is can't find a tenant to tenants can't find places. Mm -hmm. And isn't that a powerful like experience? It was a powerful experience for me to be measured, to not be knee jerk. And, and, and uh, one of the core principles for me when I'm thinking about adding properties to my investment portfolio is thinking about the demographic of the town or city that I'm purchasing in and what is the consistent trend as it relates to employment and job opportunities. 
why do people want to be there? And, you know, the reason I chose Kitimat is because it's, you know, in and of itself a great town. It's an established town. There's a there's a hospital, there's a community center, there's a big high school. Like it's there's a lot of infrastructure very close to Terrace where that has an airport. Like there's a lot of fundamentals about the location that I found really, really exciting. Yeah, I mean, uh, you you kind of hit on it there where it's as an investor evolves and as um, like we spoke about it before, as your avatar, as we so speak, uh, changes, which is essentially for those of you who haven't heard it before, it's kind of the the needs and wants of an investment and your comfort levels around that. As that evolves and changes and you get more experience, you respond differently to different situations. And so, for example, you know, you were talking there about the comfort you had initially or lack there of vacancy. Yeah. And even though, you know, had, had you, could you speak back to the person, you know, to your formal self or former self of nine months ago, you would advise them that like COVID will pass and then, mm-hmm. and then, you know, the fundamental metrics that attracted you to Kitimat haven't changed. And it's just low on rental right now because people are at home, you know, outlasting COVID and then it'll get crazy again. And so that's, you know, who knows if that ever came back, how you would respond, but you'd respond possibly different. Same way as myself, where, you know, the earlier investor version of myself, if um, a tenant didn't give proper, you know, perfect, proper uh, uh, termination notice, like they gave it a week late or something, I would be more focused on what they should be doing properly and that they, you know, they, they are obligated to stay another month. And versus now, you know, years later, I've, I've gone through everything from formally having to hire sheriffs and evict people and taken over mm. properties that have been ransacked. And, and so, you know, now I just had someone, you know, deliver a notice that they're leaving um, essentially two weeks towards the end of the month. And instead of worrying about, you know, that they did it wrong and they really should stay there another month, putting on, you know, the, the thinking cap of, well, they're great tenants. The place is going to be nice. I can re-rent it quite quickly. Yeah. And who cares? Move on. Move on. Right? Yeah. And so it's interesting how uh, we change and the investment properties and, you know, have different problems that repeat themselves often. But um, if we learn from, you know, our past and other people's experience, yes. hopefully we become better investors and uh, are able to reach a mutual, you know, win, so to speak. Yes. No. Are you ready to build your real estate portfolio? It starts with taking the first step. Call the Home Happy team for a free review of your financial situation and let us start to build your financing plan. Our team's experience, technology, and lender connections will allow you to build what you may not think is possible. We will look at all the options open to you and mix those with your dreams and goals to build the perfect mortgage strategy for your next step. With the Home Happy team helping you, your future starts now. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts, partner, in the recent past and certainly in the conversations that we're hearing on the West Coast of Canada. There's a lot of critique I am hearing, and maybe this is because I'm siloed into my my circle, but there's a lot of critique I'm hearing about people making a business out of owning rental properties. And I, I know that that was, uh, you know, a topic of conversation around the federal budget. And there always seems to be this, uh, this, this sort of dichotomy, I'll call it, of we simply don't have enough rental housing. 
there simply is not enough rental housing as witnessed by the sky high rental rates in our major cities. And this frustration or disdain for for property in- investors. And I'd love to hear some of your thoughts. I know I, I don't want to, you know, doesn't have to be partisan specifically, but I just would love to hear your reflections on that critique. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of times folks are mixing in um, the the you know the, there's a negative connotation attached to house flipping yes. or or you know short term uh, ownership for high gain, and that that's certainly a more hot topic. I personally believe that it's a risk and reward thing. Like many people could do it, many people choose not to, but then judge folks who um, who've taken on the risk and found an opportunity and turned it over and created value. Mm-hmm. That aside, that to me is not, you know, rental properties. That's that's business. And yes. so and so I certainly think there's a, you know, a place for that and maybe there's some more, you know, better taxation or better uh, rules around it that make it more fair. Mm-hmm. And you know, really um, capture the cost of someone doing that, and 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 make it a more fair equation. Mm-hmm. That being said, a landlord owning a property and providing great housing is, um, to me, it's the opposite of anything someone should you know be negative on. Yes, because it's uh, it's simply like providing a, a, a an essential service that there's a huge shortage of. Yes, and I you know in Canada, the majority of rental properties that are provided in the marketplace are provided by regular folks yeah. that um, might own one, maybe two yeah. beyond their primary residence. And they've been homeowners for, you know, 30 plus years. And if it wasn't for them, you know, there's very little housing being built out there or mm-hmm. being managed. Mm-hmm. And so in my experience, I think, you know, I certainly see no negative with um local Canadians owning multiple properties that they're renting out. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's, we've, we're seeing the results now of decades of bureaucracy where we're not building quick yes. enough yes. for, for uh, immigration and migration. And certainly speaking for our local area in BC and Vancouver, I mean, the math during the time that I've been a realtor and more aware of the problem is it's really simple math. It's, you know, in, in BC, any given year on average, you know, over the last decade in BC, we're probably bringing around 40,000 new housing units to the market. On average, you know, we're in welcoming over 40,000 new migrants or immigrants or migration to the province. And then there's all the folks that are aging up in the family home and, and yes. wanting to move out. And so we simply have had two decades of a lack of building. Yes. And more closely looking at that, I mean, the numbers I just looked at showed that last year in 2021, 100,000 people moved to BC. Nearly 30,000 of those migrated from somewhere in Canada Mm -hmm. and then 70,000 from outside. And again, I just was reviewing some of these numbers for a recent office meeting. We have in our career, Connie and you, when we've been realtors for the last 15 years and coming out of 2009, you know, we spent half a decade in a buyer's market at that time. And a buyer's market, meaning that the buyers have the advantage where there's there's more listings than than buyers are willing to sell. Mm-hmm. And and so at the top of that market in 2010, there was uh, there was 50, I think it was 55,000 active listings in, in the province. Wow. And right now there is 15,000. So we've swung from a huge buyer's market to a big seller's market. Mm -hmm. And so there's lots of macro factors that are impacting our marketplace, but we are entrenched certainly in the near term in a a steady seller's market, which also, you know, you could refer it to a landlord market. Most landlords, you know, they, they are charging the market rent 
partially because their costs are have escalated. And many landlords would, as as homeowners, would really welcome a more calm market where there isn't there isn't spikes in in valuations going up or inflation because it actually uh, it's actually more more costly for the for the homeowner mm-hmm. that's an that's a landlord because mm-hmm. um, they're actually not recovering all those in, those increased costs. So from you know, I actually think a good landlord is so to speak, you know, providing an amazing service. Yes. And where we really need to focus is, um, you know, finding an equation and learning math. I I don't know the powers that be that can't look at simple math, which is there's a lot more people moving to the province. And that's certainly not a trend that is going to change at all with everything from, you know, global environmental impacts on, on parts of the world that will put more migration into Canada, as well as the simple fact that, in a province like BC, there's really nothing you can't do or can't find. And mm-hmm. so it continues to be attractive. And yet we're building the same way we were building 20 years ago. Yes. And every single day we fall many units behind. Yes. And so that fact in itself is actually the worst uh, culprit in escalating rent prices. Agreed. In, in you know, those situations where you do have a landlord that's not a great landlord that is providing poor housing and providing, you know, substandard housing and, and is able to remain as a landlord being a bad person and an unethical person because there's so much demand mm-hmm. that they, you know, they they continue to bounce around. Yes. So supply is always the thing that would solve this. It's something that we've never, um, you know, really addressed. And we keep focusing perhaps on, on you know, scapegoats, one of those being the regular Canadian that owns one or two investment properties so that they've accumulated over the years. And they're just trying to do their best with a small business that will become a retirement plan. Yes, absolutely. I do feel very encouraged. You know, the, the, the recent budget announcement committed $10 billion to address the lack of housing supply. You know, essentially the targets being doubled for construction of new product um, up to 20, so in the next decade not to 2032, increasing the target to 400,000 units of new housing. And one of the things I am constantly reflecting on as a, a real estate professional and as a, as a property investor, and also as someone who is very, very committed to social justice and housing security and housing affordability, you know, those, those can be obviously um, challenging scenarios. And, and what I have observed over time is the federal government removing themselves from the investment in local housing supply uh, created an environment where we simply left it up to free market. And and we have learned this time and time and time again, that free market is great for some things. It is not great for social infrastructure and social security. It's not. It simply is. It's absolutely competing forces. And so one of the things I'm encouraged to hear and learn is that the federal government are recommitting funds into homes like, for example, building co-op housing. Mm-hmm. Co-op housing is an amazing model. Co-op housing is a model that exists in Vancouver and exists across Canada to great success. I know that, you know, in my own sphere, I have many, many friends that would literally have to move if they weren't in co-op housing. 
in stable housing because the city is too, the unaffordability is too intense that, you know, they they couldn't possibly imagine renting a three or four bedroom home to the tune of $3,500 or $4,000 a month. And so one of the things that I feel encouraged by in terms of the investment is, again, I believe that, I believe that the market will continue to be robust with the added housing stock provided by federal government through provincial and municipal governments. All layers of government need to be engaged. And I don't believe that that's going to take away from, you know, I don't believe that's going to take away equity from homeowners. I don't believe that that's going to take away opportunity from independent investors who own investment properties. Those properties will always be desirable. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, what investors need to be mindful of is that if there is an addition of housing stock, it will hopefully, and I will go on record as saying, I genuinely hope it impacts the rental rates. Mm -hmm. We simply can't keep up with the current pace for rentals. I just simply don't understand how a family can spend $4,000 a month in rent and try to get ahead. It it does, especially $4,000 a month in rent and you know, $1,500 a month in, in uh, childcare. Mm-hmm. Like we're talking about someone's monthly salary, if they're lucky, if they have an amazing job, fully committed to shelter and daycare. Like you're paying literally to go to work. Mm-hmm. And I just, I can't, I can't wrap my head around it. I, and I can't digest it as a, a reasonable way in which we build community in a sustainable way. And so one of the things that I think is important to just reflect on as we're focused on giving great advice to our our clients who are property investors is the idea of, you know, we're we're both advocates of buy hold. Yes. I am certainly not. It's it's simply, again, it's, you know, sort of my my ethical standing, but I'm not uh I, I don't believe in flipping real estate as a commodity. Some folks do that. And, you know, if you're paying your fair amount of taxes all the power to you, but it's not my strategy. But there is a level of importance around ensuring that you're doing regular evaluations of Mm -hmm. your equity position. And I wonder if you could share some reflections there. Yeah. So it's something that's really relevant right now that we're sitting down with clients who were discussing, uh, you know, uh, strategies that they have maybe in expanding portfolio or or getting the most use out of the equity and the value of the money that they have in the market. And one of those would be, you know, one of the negatives in a high growth market, such as the one we were in is everything's very expensive. Mm-hmm. And so it's not easy to buy another property necessarily uh, when you already own one, because there's so much equity tied up in the first one and prices are so high. And yet we are always thinking that you, you know, don't sell anything because the prices will keep going up. And if you don't test your money, if you don't keep it accountable, there's a lot of folks right now, I can think of one client that has a house in Squamish, you know, they bought it 10 years ago for 300,000. It's worth one, two today. Mm -hmm. Um, Capital gains being paid on that. They have, you know, 850, $900,000 after a small mortgage that that's available. And the rent's low because, you know, they haven't really raised their rent much and it's only a three-bedroom rancher. And so they're netting, you know, two, $300 a month. And so, yes, one way of looking at that investment is um, they did an amazing thing. They bought a home for 300000 back when, you know, many people couldn't see what Squamish would be to Vancouver and the opportunity that it had. The rent hasn't really increased much over that decade and partially from their own choosing, but let's just say, it, you know, it's it's close to what it could be. 
And you have to ask yourself, should those people hold on to that property for the next 20 years? Mm -hmm. Sure, the home's going to go up more, but probably not anything to the growth that has seen in the past. And right now they have an investment that for $800,000 cash that is tied up there, even after they pay all the expenses, they're making, you know, two, $300 a month. Mm -hmm. And so that, in my opinion, is not the best use of their money. And so although they don't want to sell their properties, there is a conversation to be had there about if they want to remain in the investment market of uh, rental properties. With that money, they could literally, you know, buy two other townhouses Mm -hmm. with proper mortgages, you know, mortgages on 70% of the value. And they would be probably quadrupling, if not more, the net positive that they'd be getting a month. And diversifying and diversifying the the opportunity for uh, longer term growth. Yeah. Interesting conversation today, partner. Thank you so much. Thanks, Connie. Thanks, everyone.